offer next to Dillard's against my preference, by the way. Yeah, the bulletin says it's here, so it's not going to be here. Yes. Yeah, they got it all. Yeah. Thank you. So Ephesians chapter, somebody just pick one real quick and we'll talk about that one. Which book? <laughs> Ephesians chapter, did somebody call one out? Six. That's it. Family, family. Ephesians chapter six. Beginning with verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally. That's really all I wanted to talk about this morning. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Does anybody have an interpretation on that? Finally. Yeah. I'll give you 15 seconds to pray and ask the Lord what that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Doesn't say be strong in yourself and in the strength of yourself. But be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Boy, we need that today. And we're going to need it tomorrow and next week and every day and every week. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, most of you probably already know this, and I, I've said this quite often over the years. But Eastern thought, which those um, on the other side of the pond are Eastern thinkers, and so they write often effect to cause. We, being on the left side of the pond, are Western thinkers, and we typically write or think effect or, uh, yeah, a, a cause to effect, okay? So what does that mean? We would typically say that the wind blew and knocked the limb out of the tree. So the wind being the cause, the effect, the limb coming down. They often, not always, but often would just say that in reverse. They would mention the effect and then the cause. And this is an example of that. So it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's an effect. The cause is coming next. Put on the full armor of God. So the full armor of God, being clothed in the full armor of God, is the cause that will affect us being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But one of our misconceptions about the armor of of God, it is not natural. It is not natural pieces. It is not pieces of clothing. 
It is not something that we wake up in the morning and we decide to put on. Nor is it something we take off at night before we go to bed. Hello. It is his armor. It's not our armor. So being fully clothed in his armor causes us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But again, we have to understand this in a spiritual context, not a natural. It's not clothing. It's not something we put on in the morning, take off at night. So what are these things? Well, before that, it says, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He's got all kinds of schemes. And today, there's all kinds of schemes globally. Great Reset is a demonic scheme. All of the plans globalists have are schemes from the evil one. But we need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And how do we do that? We be clothed with the full armor of God so that we can stand against these schemes. For our struggle is not against men. It's not against flesh and blood. That, again, is thinking naturally. When we look at men doing evil things, they're not really our problem. It's the, what is our problem? It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor, not a piece of it, not part of it, but the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Having done everything, stand firm. What does that mean? What does stand firm mean? It's not a trick question, I promise. Stick to your guns. Don't back down. Keep the faith. Stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm having girded your loins. Anybody gird your loins? That's a cool statement. I just like to say it that way. Gird your loins. With what? Truth. Truth is not something you put on. It's not a piece of clothing. It's not something you take off. Truth is even more than a concept. What else is it? It's a person. It's a person. Jesus is truth. Being clothed with Jesus. Girding your loins with a belt of truth. It's the only part of the armor that goes completely around your body. It is the foundation for everything else. Every one of these parts of this armor are character traits. We're to be clothed in truth, clothed in Christ, but we're also to be what? Truthful, people of truth. And being truthful. having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What's righteousness? It's having right standing with the Lord. What else? Seeking God's will. 
What else? God calls us righteous. So what, what does it mean? To be, to be holy? To be Christ-like? To have right standing with the Lord? This, it's not just something we just use as a breastplate. It's, it's part of who we are. Same way with truth. It's, it's part of who we are. They're character traits. They're part of our, our identity. It's not something we put on and take off daily. That's thinking naturally, not supernaturally. The breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is that? Well, first off, it's something with your feet. So what does that mean? It has to do with my walk. It has to do with my stance. Scripture says stand firm. Talks a lot about walk, which is what our lifestyle. But it's the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's interesting it doesn't say the preparation of the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of salvation or the gospel of faith. But it's the gospel of peace. What does it mean? into that place, we bring peace. We bring the Prince of Peace to whichever area that we are in at that time. Yes. No, that's good. Both of those are good. Yes? Mm-hmm. Very good. So if, the, if, if, if what I say was true, that all of these parts of the armor are part of our character then how does this apply to us as an individual? And I'm thinking of what we also do from time to time is we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Does that mean that we pray that there be no chaos, no trouble? In other words, this gospel of peace is that I as an individual, have peace with God. Reconciliation, restoration with him first. That's the peace. I have that peace with God. See, if we don't have that, we can't go out and deliver that. Because we can only give what we have. And it's walking in that peace because my sins are forgiven I've been restored. I've been redeemed by the Lord. I have a peaceful relationship with God. He's not holding anything over me or against me. And therefore, I can go and share that. See, that keeps our walk solid. Helps us to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Because he'll always come and use 
that wedge that he can use between you as an individual and God the Father. And he has a legal right to do so. I didn't mean this, I, this to be, I wanted this to be really short. So let's go back over this really quick. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against men, flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. It's not our our armor, it's his. Take all of it. Be completely clothed. Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. Having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, 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 truth. May truth be restored back in the house of God. In every congregation, in every home, in our life, may we be people of truth. May we be surrounded, clothed with Christ because he is truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith. Faith is just not something we pop up every once in a while to do this number. It's not natural. What is faith? I think faith is one of the most misunderstood concepts in Christianity. I really do. And the most necessary. What's faith? What's faith? Full assurance, trust, title deed. It's trust. It's confidence. It's having confidence in God. It's not having confidence in my confession or in my belief system. It's confidence in him, which means when he speaks and he tells us what to do, what to say, that we have confidence, we put our trust in him. And if we do, that means we're going to say what he's telling us to say. We're going to do what he's telling us to do, even though we may not understand it, even though our emotions may be screaming something completely different because we're not led by our emotions or not supposed to be. How are we led? By the Spirit of God. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Man shall not live by what? The natural alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So our faith, when we're trusting God, it acts like, and that is not something we do from moment to to the next moment, from one event to the next. No, we live this way. Everything we're doing. We get up tomorrow morning and we go to work or school or whatever it is by faith. The paycheck we get, by faith. It's not our customers, our clients, or our boss that's paying us. It's God. We're working for him. We're trusting him for everything that we get. That's walking by faith. It's not just missionaries living by faith. Everybody's supposed to be living by faith in the area of finances, health, and everything else. Having shod your feet... In the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith and trust enables you to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet covers the head. The head is where our mind is. 
We've been talking about the last several weeks of our soul and renewing of the mind, our understanding. The mind is the battlefield. It is where the enemy comes in the mind. What did Jesus do in the wilderness when he was tempted by the enemy? The enemy didn't show up in the natural with a red suit and a pitchfork. He came to him just like he comes to us with thoughts. What did Jesus do? Have a conversation? Start praying in tongues? Get a shofar out and blow it? What did he do? Get his guitar out and start playing and singing? See, we need to do what Jesus did because Jesus was 100% effective all the time. So what did Jesus do? He didn't just put, you know, worship music on in the house and walk around. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. But he knew what the word was, and he spoke the word. What did he say? It is written. You know what that does? It ends the argument. You'll notice from that Jesus, that Satan had no recourse. He tried something else. What did Jesus do then? The same thing. It is written. Third time, something completely different. What did he do? Well, I don't know. I better find out in the book. Where, where. It is written. It ends the argument. The word of God, which is what? The sword of the spirit. Amen? This was way longer than I thought it was going to be. Let's sing. Let's listen to what God has to say to us this morning. Let's prophesy the will of God. Let's pray as he's leading us and guiding us. That's what, that's what Ecclesia is all about. Ecclesia is all about coming together and listening to what God is saying. Even through other people. What is God saying? What's he showing us? And then we just respond to that. Amen? Father, we come. We're here. We say, Father, we are, we're here to do your will. We're here to hear from you so we can speak for you. We're here to see what you're showing us to do so we can go and act for you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in this room, in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in this great nation, and across the globe. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to partner with you to see your will being done and accomplished. Amen.
So earlier, earlier this morning, I heard this word um, that actually Pastor released on a Sunday or Wednesday, but he was uh, he was saying, "If my people," and then it was you know, different things, "If my people," but it was a conditional aspect to the word, which involved our participation and this morning I heard uh, so I just want to share and release this if my people choose life and I heard it in connection with uh, two scriptures and uh, I just want to share those Um, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, Zoe life. And then also in Deuteronomy 30 uh, and 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish.
Psalm 26. I've kind of been camped out here. Kind of goes along with what Joe was talking about. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all of your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place in the congregations. I will bless the Lord. Grace and peace to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually.
heard the word ballast. You are a ballast in the culture. A ballast is a heavy substance placed in such a way as to improve stability and control. A ballast is something that gives stability as in character or conduct.
your name I know your name yes I do I know your name Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. I will bear you and deliver you. morning. Praise God. When did we move up here? <laughs> I just feel like apologizing. I don't mean to look down on anybody. <laughs> but on the other hand, you're looking up to me. No. Uh, <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Rich. Rich this morning. Praise the Lord. Been to church already. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Ah, oh, glory, glory, glory. Whew. Yeah. Anybody know, uh, what do you call a grizzly bear that has no teeth? How about a gummy bear? <laughs> All right, enough of that. Um, that's some simple little notes this morning. You know how important it is to go back to kindergarten sometimes, you know. It's just, oh, I love the basics of the word. I love that first fundamentals, you know. It's like to be refreshed and to know why we operate the way we operate and how, how things really are because religion has this way of promoting self and obligating self, and operating in the flesh, and trying to get us to have the mentality where we try to qualify ourselves. How many of you know that's a short road, and it's disaster at the end? <laughs> in Him do we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 28. Oh, in Him do we live and move 
and have our being. And God gave this to me about three weeks ago, and all of a sudden I said, oh, I had this desire, you know, to speak. And I'm usually really reluctant. I mean, I've been in the body of Christ a long time, and there was a time when I was just on fire, and I wanted to speak all the time and, and just get my, my vast knowledge out there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then reality hit. I mean, it's amazing. The most confident people in life are the ones that don't know very much, but they're so assured. You know, they don't, they don't have enough knowledge to know what they don't know. So they have so much confidence. And then we move ahead in life a little bit, and we realize, man, I don't know much. <laughs> so we kind of calm down a little bit, maybe even become a little insecure. <laughs> but we can grow to a place where we have confidence in the knowledge in, of, in, of God in us without being so egotistical and overbearing that it's no longer us. Amen. So the subject is, do we believe? And what in the world is a believer? Do we believe? Do we believe? And there's a lot to believe out there. As a matter of fact, you can believe anything. And there's a lot of man-made stuff. There's a lot of religion out there that fosters a lot of belief that distorts the image of God. So that destroys our fellowship with God. Because you're always fellowshipping through the internal image that you have. So it's important what we believe. It's important the image that's on the inside of us. Because that's how the kingdom lives on the inside of us. By the images. By what we see. And what do we do? We say what the Father says. And we we. We do what we see him doing. That's that imagery. So, man, to be full of the kingdom of God is to be full of internal visions, of imagery, of identity. That's where we get our word identity. We have been imaging certain things. We see certain things inside, whether they're defeat or victory, (laughs) whether Christ or our own efforts. It's important what we believe. So are we believers? And I just want to start out with the fact that there's so much emphasis on faith these days. We've been through an entire movement. There have been some glorious things come out of it. There's also been some error. (laughs) But we're not faithers. Does that make sense? We're not called faithers. We're called believers. And it's important what we believe because the force of faith that lives in our spirit, which is Christ, flows through what we believe. Our belief is our filter. It's our paradigm that we operate in. So believing is almost more important than faith because faith is a resolved issue. And a lot of our problems are not faith problems, but they're believing problems. They're belief. Oh, I discovered this when studying the wilderness tabernacle. I know, honey, I'm mentioning it again. (laughs) 
when I saw the holiest of all and the holy place and how that mandated everything in the outer court, which typifies our body and our outward manner of living, the holiest of all being our spirit and the holy place being our soulish realm. Isn't that amazing that God would call that a holy place? Amen. So <laughs> it's, it's his estimation, not mine. So we're called believers. That's our identity, and that's what's important, and that's what makes the difference in the way we live. Because you see, the Word tells us that the fullness of the Godhead lives in Christ, and Christ lives in us. Amen. I mean the fullness, not a portion, but the fullness of the Godhead. All the everything that's that's in the kingdom is in there, and it's in a perfect state. Well, it's hard to believe, man. The way we act sometimes, <laughs> the things we get sometimes, it's hard to believe. But there's a miracle in there. But it's trapped. And it's unable to move. And it's unable to manifest and declare its victory without the mind being renewed. That's why he tells us in the Word, renew your mind. You could just as easily say, renew your soul. You could say, renew your thinking. You could say, renew your emotions. You could say, renew those triggering points that you have in your personality. Everybody knows that I'm talking about, right? <laughs> no, my dear wife, she puts up with me. I mean, it's been a lot of years. <laughs> but you know, you don't, get, you don't get passionate about anything in your life without that passion, that vitality leaking over into everything. And when people sometimes uh, just kind of cross that passion, you can become snappy. A lot of people are. I can get that way. She puts up with me. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the marriage relationship is so important. And some people tell me, you know, they never argue and they never fight. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, that's good. I'm sitting there thinking, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> I mean, really, because that friction says there are things that are important, that are vital. And since neither of the two parties are the same, and they both have their own paradigm of thought, and they're both important, and neither one is absolutely correct, and no, neither one has all the answers, then that difference and that friction is important. So instead of rejoicing in the difference, you know, just in the kingdom of God, like the different denominations and stuff, instead of rejoicing in those differences and, and taking those on in patience and grace and becoming even larger than where we are now, we want to fight against it and kick against the goads and that's all a part of belief so the belief system is very fragile so we want to become formed up and solid in our belief system and at the same time become fragile and vulnerable 
and open in our belief system. Does that make sense? So that although we haven't arrived, we've definitely left from back there. We're definitely on the way. I haven't arrived, but I've left. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So enough rattling here. Um, faith, again, is a force in our new spirit. When we become born again, that is receiving Christ. Christ means anointing. We receive anointing. We receive the anointed one and his anointing. And part of what anointing is, is what we call faith. So that lives in us. And that lives in us in such a way that that power is waiting for a demand to be placed on it at all times. Instead of saying, uh, oh, I need faith. We should be rejoicing in the fact, oh, I'm a vessel of faith. But we major on things like the scriptures says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as if faith is out there somewhere. That word comes has the idea of comes forth. Wow. The faith that's in me can come forth. <laughs> Amen. By having that belief that is in that right, you know, focus. In that right shade. In that right believing. Because, again, as someone said in this decade, right believing produces right living. <laughs> and we want to do that. Praise God. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I know we all know it. Praise God. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart or your spirit or your soul, there are different translations, may be enlightened. And you get that little light bulb on the inside of you. And that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And man, I'll tell you, I was reading that one day, and it was such a relief to me. I've always been wrestling with the calling of God, and oh, I've fought it since I was a little kid, and I'm still, pray for me, reluctant about ministering sometimes. But there's been a burn lately. It's just, yeah. But anyway, we're, we are called with his calling. We're called. He, he has this massive calling to win the world, to be everything to everyone, everyone that will let him. So instead of having all that uh, responsibility and all of that weight, he just breaks off a piece of his call and says, here, Dale. Here, Joe. Here, Mike. Take this. <laughs> and then we fellowship with one another with all those portions of his call, and they all come together, and the kingdom stops, starts happening. Isn't that awesome? So that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Wow. You mean it's already in there? 
I'm trying to get you to see the picture of looking in the mirror of the Word of God and not walking away from it and forgetting about what you are and who you're becoming. You have to know what you are and who you're becoming. And one more thing, it says, not only is this this um, inheritance in there, but we have the power to get it. Because it goes on to say, and what is the surpassing? That means it's greater than any problem we have. It's greater than any difficulty. It's, it's even greater than our personalities and shortages and overages and whatever. That power is to us who believe because we're believers. <laughs> so we can change our life any day, every day. You know, traditionally we look in the church world as salvation being that one-time initial uh, experience, repent, come to the Lord, uh, be saved, uh, get born again, whatever terms we use. And we say, oh, yeah, I got saved last night. And then a year later, we go, oh, yeah, I've been saved for a year. Or, you know, it becomes this historic event on a calendar somewhere. But actually, salvation is an ongoing thing. Wow, and when you expose yourself to the Word and the Spirit, then that soul, that place where you believe, gets saved. I tell people all the time, this is my well of salvation right here. Everybody I know here, everybody I hang out with here, everybody I experience here, this is, why? Because this is the will of God for me. And so this is my well of salvation. I just come in and move around. Sometimes, you know, I, I tend to be a little quiet. I know that. For being loud now. But I just listen. I do. I listen because I'm mentored by you. Because that's my washing. That's my, uh, that's my salvation. It's, it's kind of illustrated by... Um, our entrance into the kingdom and our entrance into the tabernacle again. Uh, you know, the first piece of furniture you come to is the brazen altar, which typifies the Christ, uh, the cross. And man, you need born again. You need rebirth. You need uh, to come into the kingdom. You need not only forgiveness of sins, but you need remissions of sin. In other words, that sin has to be put far from you and it's it's annihilated in your new nature there's no sin anywhere <laughs> that's why he's able to call you his righteousness so when we come to that piece of furniture and we say yes to his substitution for us man there's a cleansing that takes place and that cleansing is done by the godhead and that cleansing is done for us. How many of you know nobody could earn standing in the kingdom of God? I mean, it's impossible. You can't cleanse yourself in that way in your nature. But I'm thinking of Peter when Jesus was washing their feet, you know. And uh, 
He got all, oh, no. No, Lord, I don't want you washing my feet. So then Jesus uh, answers him and says, hey, if I don't wash your feet, or if I don't wash your walk, then you don't have any part with me in the kingdom. And then Peter went to the other extreme again and said, well, don't just wash my hands and feet. Wash my head and my hands and just give me a bath. And Jesus said, those that are clean don't need anything except to wash their hands and their feet. In other words, we're washing our walk and we're washing our doing. So there's a difference in cleansings. So if we move from the brazen altar, that type of the cross, and we come to that water-filled labor, which is the ministry of the word to us and cleansing for us, it commands us to wash. It commands us to uh, get a hold of ourselves and walk circumspectly and to be all that we can be in Christ. It's a lot better than being all you can be in the army. It's just, you know, it's, it's so good. But we have the responsibility of cleansing ourselves in the water of the word. And there's so many scriptures that talk about the word uh, cleansing the soul. And just when you take it into your heart, things happen, you change. So most of Christianity preaches only the cross, only that new birth experience. And Sunday after Sunday, and people sit there and they go, uh, you know, repent and be saved. Yeah, amen. Repent and be saved. Yeah, amen. And I mean, you know, they have no word of the kingdom. They have no depth in this great word that's able to wash them. So when they sin, <clears throat> they are asking God's forgiveness. They're on that First John 1, 9, which I wish we could get in that today. I've got... I've got a teaching that is so honoring because he's telling us to come in as kings and priests and to be in agreement with him so that we can be cleansed. Amen. But, but uh, so they're asking God to do something that he's commissioned them to do with their life, with their walk, with their, with their understanding, to cleanse by the washing of the word. So as a result of them trying to pray God into doing something that he's commanded them to do. They just walk around dirty. Now, religion has masked over their consciousness and their thoughts, so they think, well, yeah, I'm a forgiven sinner. <laughs> no, you're really supposed to be a new creature in Christ. Amen. I really, I'm trying to get to my notes. I just, <laughs> there's just, I get, what do we believe? Believe, believe the word, believe the word. So there's this exceeding greatness, this power that is more than our circumstances to everyone who believes. But we've got to know what to believe. Because I'm telling you, you can believe anything. You cannot faith everything. Everybody, anybody ever try to faith everything? Yeah. You can't, 
faith of the Spirit. You can't control that. But you can control what you believe. You can believe because you choose to believe. That's, a, that's an exciting thing. Praise God. And our belief system, whatever we believe, is the vehicle through which the force of faith flows. That's, it's so simple, but yet we miss it. Uh, Romans 15, 13, I like that. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, there's some words there. Hope. <laughs> abound in hope. And we know from Mark chapter, Mark chapter 11, which explains the operation of faith, you cannot expect faith to produce anything in your life that you hadn't first hoped. And a lot of Christians are prone to depression today because they don't know the greater one lives within them. They don't understand that they are part of the body of his anointing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, we can have that joy and that peace. Peace. That doesn't mean an absence of strife or an absence of situations or an absence of even people coming against you. But it's talking about the stability inside of knowing that in him there's nothing broken, nothing missing, nothing out of place, no lack. I am complete in Christ. And that is the shalom that, that we need. So we've been reconciled to all of this if we believe. But, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this mentality that we have since the advent of the revival that was the word of faith. And how many of you know that has changed the body of Christ like almost no movements before it. And boy, it was genuine and it was the word of God and it was necessary. And all of us have been changed by that movement whether you realize it or not. And that's not to say that everything that happened and everything that was preached and everything that went on was God, but oh, so necessary. And I can take you through that wilderness tabernacle and I can show, stop right there at the showbread table and show you those two stacks of bread and one of them the charismatic renewal and the other is the word of faith. And man, it's just awesome. But those, those two movements of God got aborted. Because people had already got into government action that said, now you Christians, just stay in your churches. Don't try to affect society. And so an awakening was aborted. And our society stayed and did not change. You see, the natural part of a visitation from God is to revive the church, pull in sinners, 
and then change society. And we have the idea in this modern church that if we just get our own little revival and we just lead people to Christ, we'll change our world. That is not true. We have to change, walk up those seven mountains. We have to be involved in government. We have to be involved in family. We've got to be involved in all these areas of life and living. He didn't call us to be in a corner someplace because, man, we're not effective. We're useless. We might as well not be here. It's not enough just to change our life. It's, it's to spend that life on others. It's, it's to allow that change to influence. It's, it's to be, to no longer be afraid of being somebody. Wow, I need that prayer a lot. Praise God. So, um, again, Mark 11 all things for which you pray and ask. Believe. Believe. There's that word. <laughs> Believe that you receive them. Well, how can the world can you do that? Because Peter says that all things that pertain to life and godliness have been granted to you already. Oh, God's so good. God's so good. But we can get, we can get into this sin of assumption sometimes and just assume in our natural intellect that because this is true and this is true and this is true that this also is true and so we can get to a place where we don't need God I tell you I, I was I came into the body of Christ during charismatic renewal word of faith came along and and God in, in really had already been teaching me those things even before the birth of that and so I was all gung-ho and I was in and I was going and man you know uh, certain things were, were just automatic and and one of the problems was especially for my uh, thinking and the way I was this I drank in the misunderstanding that was in early in that movement when it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I thought if I just cram enough word, mm, faith's going to come to me. I can do everything, man. I just, you know. And it, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, we could be off somewhere, away from God. Hey, you know, I mean, you know, God can bless you. And he can send you someplace, and you can do something, and he's not even there. I mean, his presence isn't there. Just because, well, it's like Moses when uh, he was saying, you all go in, I'll give you the land. And Moses said, God, I'm not going anywhere without you, without that presence. And that's what that assumption of faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God does when we think that we can build our own faith you see faith is a fellowship issue that means if i'm hearing i'm fellowshipping and when i'm hearing and i get an assignment 
then the faith for completing that assignment comes with it. That's when faith comes, comes through the fellowship. Oh, it's so good. That word just gets startling, and you get fanatical about it. You get, you get so determined, and people wonder, what is wrong with this guy? Well, faith has come, not faith as a doctrine, and thank God for doctrine. We need to know about things. We need to have a doctrinal outline, but when, then we need to walk in the presence of God so that those things are explained to us, and not only explained, but energized, and faith comes. Off my notes again. So, <laughs> for all things, why all things? Because we've been given all things in Christ. Amen. Everything that, belong, that pertains to life and godliness. So when you ask, believe that you receive. Believe that you lambano. <laughs> that word means that it's out there. It's in the spirit. It's in my inheritance. The inheritance is in the saints. We've already discovered that in his word. So that means that when I receive, that word means to take to myself. It is not as we believe it. Okay, I'll receive that. No, it's an energetic taking to myself. Woo! <laughs> Yeah, and God wants us just to reach out and take it to ourselves. Why? Because it's already given. He already expects you to take it. So now when I hear the word receive, I see that football player. Not that I know a lot about football. I see this receiver, and he's running along, and he's reaching. He's, you know, he's ready. He's, he's made room for that thing. He's made a place for that football to come in so he's taking it to himself wow sometimes you got to do that by force <laughs> so to many as received gave you the power to become the sons of God That's, there's some good receiving scriptures so uh and then it goes on to say, whenever you stand praying, forgive. I think that's why there's some denominations that insist you get on your knees to pray so you don't have to forgive anybody. <laughs> uh, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. And that's so important. Uh, everywhere Jesus talks about prayer, he talks about forgiveness and you know, we we stand in a covenant of forgiveness and, and remission and, and, and atonement, covering. Those are the three words, and they all have to do with letting go. Just let go. And if we own ourselves, sometimes when we make that mistake, we can't let go of it. We just can't let go of it. And we ask God to forgive us, and we're not released, and we haven't let go. I mean, just think of his goodness when he says forgiveness. Oh, he just let go. Yeah, it's the same what I did last week, but he's saying just let go. And if we let go enough, forgiveness becomes such a reality. And 
it puts us in a place where we won't be offended by other people. Right? You just won't be offended. Wow. You know, just because we're different. I have, uh, I have a friend at work, and he's, uh, I'd say he's pretty much obviously homosexual, <laughs> you know. He has so many great qualities. I, I just love this guy. Uh, there's so much respect for some of the things that he stands for. Now, is he perfect? No. Am I endorsing homosexuality? No. But I'm endorsing him. I believe in him. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I'm not going to get offended by that because I know I have a Savior that's already taken care of that. It, just to think about the sins and lifestyles of everyone in this earth has been absorbed in the sacrifice of Christ. Man. So that means if I've actually received that forgiveness, it's no longer just hanging over my head, ready to come down, but I've actually received it. I've actually brought it into my life through faith, through just believing. Then, then I got a problem in my new lifestyle because I owe everyone I see that forgiveness. And if I'm not mature in that forgiveness, then I can't give that out. Uh, I, I can't ignore your quirks, and you can't ignore my quirks, and on and on. Praise God. So when you stand praying, forgive, because we owe forgiveness. No, oh, we owe forgiveness. I tell you, ever wonder... Sometimes how you know you've blown it and you're thinking if you're like a traditional um, uh, denominational person that's very sin conscious, you're thinking, okay, I did this or I thought this or I said that. And, and man, when I get to myself, I'm just going to have to ask forgiveness. And... Maybe you forgot about it. Maybe you didn't do it two days later. <laughs> but maybe before you got home to your quiet time, maybe there came this ministry opportunity and the Lord used you. Man, why? Because your standing isn't in your conduct. Your standing is in that free gift of righteousness. And people, people don't understand that. They think you are saying... Hey, go ahead and live how you want to. No, that's a very fragile thing. <laughs> and see, that's the part of the gospel that causes people to say things against you like they said against Paul. Oh, Paul's just preaching, you know. Grace is just this covering thing. Just go ahead and sin. What shall we do? Sin? God forbid. The idea is maturing in revelation, maturing in fellowship, maturing in ministry where you're, you're, the fruit in your life is holiness. Praise God. The, the changes take place. So, um, 
um, the word talks about in Ephesians 1, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. So it's a paradigm that we look through. It's this thing. It's how we see. It's not just seeing. Amen? And, and a lot of times in Scripture, it's seeing twice or looking again. I'm thinking of Numbers chapter 21 when Moses put the brass serpent on the pole and in order to be... Uh, in order to be healed from those snake bites, you had to look up at that brass serpent. Well, it's not just casually looking, but it's intently looking. It's looking again. It's seeing beyond the natural and the symbolism and saying, God, I need healing. Praise God. So Ephesians 4.16 says, moving right along, from whom the whole body being fitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Man, there's a lot here. So we're fitted together by God. We're fitted together in the body. It's the joints. It's the marrow. It's the the connections that we make in the kingdom. And not every connection is for every believer. I mean, just you have to be connected and fitted by God. But the whole body's fitted together. And it's fitted by what every joint supplies. I'm so glad we have that going on here. You know, each of us are different. Each of us have something different. And we have a supply to bring. According to the proper working of the individual part. And that's something that we need to seek to work properly in the spirit. We can't just come and say, oh, this is my personality. I can do this. I, you know. No, it's, it's working in God according to his design. And you have those natural elements there, but we need to be fine-tuned and honed in the spirit of the living God. So the I don't know of a I don't know of a clearer picture of of uh, what that is and what that means than you guessed it back in the tabernacle. <laughs> and it has to do with the holy place uh, and the most holy place and the holy of holies. And like I said, man, there's a lot there to unpack. But I couldn't get over the fact that God calls the holy place the holy place because I've learned that it typifies the soul of man. And sometimes our soul, our character is anything but holy. And of course, I know the holy of holies, that's where God lives. That's the house. That's the spirit. That's it. And he twisted those words up for me one day, and I saw that the reason the holy place is called the holy place is because it processes the most holy. That is the holy of holies. These two holy places, this is the holiness of the holies. Both of them. Wow. Huh? Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> 
So in this tabernacle, when we enter into the holy place and we come through that door, and it's not like the light of the outer court. I mean, that's natural light, and God works in that, natural understanding. God works in all that. But when we come into the holy place, there is this lampstand that is the only light. And it's flickering. How many of you have been in candlelight before? It's, it's a different kind of sight, isn't it? You see a little differently. And you close the door, and all that natural understanding is left behind. And this is why people have so much trouble with prayer sometimes because they're unable to shut the door, unwilling to shut the door and let go of those cares. You've got to rest. You have to come into the light of the Holy Spirit. What's Father saying? What's Father's doing? What's going on in the kingdom? We separate ourselves unto that light in the soulish realm and we stop the input of the body. We close. It does. Now, we can go in the holy place and leave that door up and have that natural light, and, and many of us do sometimes. But it's designed to work with that door down so that the only light is the light of the Holy Spirit. That's, that candlestick is where all the gifts are and where all the that manifestations of the Spirit are. And, and over here, when you look at this, this table of showbread, I mean, it's like there is this, it has this glow and we are surrounded by golden boards in silver sockets. And silver, if you know anything about the metals of the Old Testament, typify redemption. Now, in the outer court, there's a bunch of sticks all the way around, which trees represent mankind and his natural state. We're all trees. <laughs> and they're in brass which typifies ju the judgment of God. And judgment is good. God, judgment's good. <laughs> uh, just don't be on the wrong end of it. But anyway, so the denominationalists out there in the outer court that preach sin, 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 that's all they understand because that's all that's out in the outer court. There's hardly any reference to redemption except way up high, there's some silver caps that speak of God's redemption, but they're just out of reach. But we come into the holy place, and all of a sudden that same silver that's so high and out of reach there becomes our foundation. That's, that's exciting. That is so exciting. But the thing that really got me excited were these, these boards, these upright boards which are covered in gold, which is not only Christ, but is us. Here we are. Can you imagine the glow in lamplight? That flickering. Not only are we getting light from the candlestick, but we're getting light from the walls. Everything is refractory. And we've come into this place of this quiet and this separateness, and we listen, and things are different. It's not like hearing the law of sacrifice in the outer court. Now, we've come in to the essence of being in Christ and being in the family and being re 
born and being not just flesh, but spirit. Amen. And it's important to be flesh because when you lose your flesh, <laughs> you lose your authority in the earth. So it's that doctrine of Jesus Christ being God manifested in the flesh is phenomenal. It's just you can't overestimate its worth. Flesh is an important teaching. So flesh, not only is it your biggest problem, it's your greatest asset because you can house God in there. It's amazing. So he's instructed us to walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, but it's important that we are in the flesh. Praise God. Um, so anyway, these boards, which are Christ and are us, they're sitting in sockets, and they've got two, uh, I don't know what you call it, fingers on the bottom, and they sit in these sockets that have two things on the bottom, and I meditated on that for years and just uh, rejoiced about that. And then one day, I discovered that the two boards weren't in one socket with two holes, but it was moved over. And there was one hole here and one hole there, and we were standing in kind of a bridge of righteousness and a bridge of redemption and a bridge of grace. And then I saw all of us together and how God wants to function in us as a body. And we have this shared righteousness. Wow. So religion has been teaching us all this time to qualify in ourselves and to be righteous in ourselves instead of operating in the righteousness of Christ. And when you do that over there, then you're able to point the finger and you're able to take righteousness away from that person and then you destroy your own righteousness. You destroy that sense of being able to operate in the kingdom because that person may not know as much or he may know more or he may not be living as much or he may be living more. But the thing is, you're connected to him or her or them, you know? So you're connected to some portion of kingdom development in someone, somewhere, you're sharing that same righteousness. You're sharing that same foundation. So you're not just looking up, trying to be righteous, and try, but now it's your foundation. There's a shift that's taking place. Oh, <laughs> things get good. Amen. So moving right along, um, I had this experience one time as a child that I, I want to bring out. I, I think about it quite a bit. We were talking about a paradigm, a way of seeing, um, a new estimation of things. Because I tell you what, we can get so sin conscious that sin is so much more mightier than the blood of the Lamb. You know, or the willingness of God's grace. I mean, we're just uh, overwhelmed by it. But <clears throat> I was a kid. I don't know. I don't know how old I was. I was probably 10 or 12. And 
my maternal grandmother has a had a visitor from out of state. I think I only saw this lady twice. I don't even I'm not even sure who she was. And uh you know, I had a praying mother. She prayed for us all the time. And I had, I remember as a child experiencing different things in the spirit, even though I hadn't received Christ. I was, there were some amazing things that happened. But anyway, I came into the house and there this cousin or aunt, whoever it was that was a in-law of mine was, uh, standing in the kitchen with Grandma, and they were talking. And I looked at her, and my first, my first thought was, what a homely woman. I mean, and I had to think that way because I've already been home trained that no one is ugly. You can say homely, but no one is ugly. But I'm thinking, man, what a homely, I mean, I remember my first look. This woman was homely. And, we, and you know, our beauty called of a society, we, we place so much emphasis on appearance and looks. It just. But anyway, so we were called into the kitchen to be introduced and stuff. And this lady was talking to me and all this stuff. And I remember the love of God. And I didn't realize it at the time was oozing through this woman and and the kindness and all that fruit of the spirit was going on. And all of a sudden, this lady was so attractive. And I just thought, wow. And, you know, and pretty soon my natural brain is going. I'm looking around for this other woman, this homely woman. (laughs) But. I'll never forget that as long as I live, all the days of my life, about this internal beauty that as a child I could see it. I could, I, I could know it. I could understand it, even though maybe mentally I didn't understand it. There was this knowledge. And that's kind of the way it is in the holy place. There's this different kind of lighting. There's this... And there's also a difference in sound. There's, uh, there's four layers over this thing. Uh, one of them is seal skin. And you can't get water or sound or anything else through this thing. It, it's, it's a quietness that separates you to God. Wow. Isn't that exciting? So... Um, Anyway, none of us are ugly. <laughs> Even when we act ho- homely a little bit, sometimes. But that's the way it is with these boards and this shared righteousness. Man. You know, I, I never forget the third time I visited here and God spoke to me home. Man, that was overwhelming. And so I said, okay. And so I'm start praying for Joe and start praying for the congregation, kind of adopting them in the spirit. And of course, later we moved away for a while, and I thought, well, I'm still connected in spirit, you know. But I uh, really had no idea, man, what that would mean. I mean, I'd, 
I'd gone for 40 years in the body of Christ, never found home. I was content to be home in Christ. But there's more than just being at home in Christ. There's finding home in one another. And last year I saw this uh, picture that was supposed to depict the glorious throne of God. And I was just looking at that, and it was really, really beautiful. And I heard it go off again in my heart. Home. Oh, that makes the throne approachable. That makes everything different. When that glorious throne of the God of the universe is your home. Wow. Yeah, your heart goes there. Your petitions go there. Your mind go there. Your, your love goes there. Everything goes there because that's home. So, uh, Hebrews 9, 26 says, but now, because I got on this thing of believing about what we were believing and the paradigm, just the flavoring that we're believing with. It's not just what we believe, but the attitude with which we believe it that is so important. Do we believe our covenant and not the old covenant? Because I, I tell you, I believe that most, most Christians believe the old covenant. And they're believing according to the old covenant. They're, they're believing in the vein and the operation and the rules of the old covenant. But Hebrews 9.26 says, But now, once, Christ sacrificed once. At the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Wow. So do we believe that? Do we believe in his goodness and his power so much that we believe that he's put away sin? And I'm not talking about denying the activities of the flesh to the point where we never feel like we need forgiveness or any of that. But I'm talking about realizing the new birth within us and the holiness that's within us and a willingness to walk that out. That's what I'm talking about. So, as a matter of fact, he asks us in the book of Romans to believe that we are dead to sin and alive unto God. Ooh, that's a tall order. First time I read that, I went into shock for three months. Because I'd already determined to believe the Word of God. And that was just seemed so impossible. But I didn't know that, that, that we were triune beings. And he was talking about our authority in the Holy of Holies. That that holiness that was in that new Holy of Holies inside of me could be the holiness for everything else. As we flow in the Spirit, because we're not called to measure up to the law. Even, even good moral laws, we're not called to that. We're called to Christ. We're called to be in the Spirit. Amen. And if we're in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Important stuff. <clears throat> so, uh, I don't know. I think I'm about done here. Um, I'm having too much fun. Um, but I got a couple little uh, 
things here uh, you can read yourself in Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 19. There are, there are seven things listed there. <clears throat> and it talks about uh, these things are grievous to the Lord. The Lord hates these seven things. And the seventh one, the Berkeley, I think, translated, the seventh one is the great abomination. So you go down through there and you read, uh, you know, people swearing in court and false witness. And you, you see him that sheds innocent blood. And I'm, I'm reading this with the idea that the seventh one is a great abomination. And so this thing is building and I'm, into, I'm reading down through there. And then I get to number seven and it says, him <laughs> that spreads strife and discord among the brethren. Wow. Why is that? Why is that so grievous? Why is that so... Why is that greater than murder? Well, from our standpoint as New Testament believers, that destroys what Christ spent his life to build. You know, there's, there's a way of bringing judgment, and we need to be people of judgment. We judge this is good and that's bad. <laughs> but we can't judge the motivation of people's heart, and we can't judge people in a way that is just flippant, just based on physical evidence. Now, if the word of the Lord comes to you, <laughs> oh, man, be faithful. And speak that, that judgment. Amen. God will work. So, I've got to believe in what Christ has established above anything else. And be committed not to tear that down. I don't care if you're Baptist, Episcopalian, or, or uh, you know, whatever. The body of Christ needs built up and they need healed and they need to learn kingdom principles so we can come together. Praise God. And uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 6.17 says, All those that are in Christ are one spirit. And some people, that sounds a little new age because they don't understand the difference between spirit and soul. Now, if I say we're all one soul, one personality, one, one, <laughs> one feeling, one... You know, whatever. That would be new age. But spirit is the nature of God. The nature of Father. And oh, we have that regardless of our actions sometimes. So we can't get so turned off to one another because of something we said or did that we fail to honor the Christ within. Just you saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I have Jesus in me. I'm going to honor you as being the perfect righteousness of God. I don't mean I endorse everything in your flesh or everything you do or everything you say, but I have faith to treat you as the righteousness of God. That's important. And I'm glad that I don't have a responsibility of correcting some people sometimes, you know. I mean, and there is a chain of authority. There's first apostles, and then prophets, et cetera, et cetera. And when we bring ourselves under leadership, it's leadership's responsibility to go, uh, you, <laughs> you know, privately, of course. But, 
you know, that's an awesome responsibility, and we've got to do that in the fear of the Lord. Remember ourselves when we go, because we go to, for that person's good, for that person's life, and that person's benefit, and because of the love of God. Amen? Amen. So, uh, we're all one in the Spirit. We're all... <laughs> Do we, are we committed to believing that? That's the thing. We're believers. Will we believe that? Because we'll have so much opportunity with so many people <laughs> that their doctrine or whatever separates us and puts us in categories. See, that's, that's the design of the left, the leftist government at this point, to separate us. You're black, you're white, you guys are at war with one another. Uh, you guys are Republican, you're Democrat, you're at war with one another. <laughs> you know, it's just like, find the difference and magnify it. So, <clears throat> uh, that's, that's anything to keep us from discovering that we are one in Christ. I must have not brought my water up. No, there it is. So, <clears throat> we magnify the solution, not the problem. Thanks, sis. But we're still walking around like no solution exists because we won't magnify the blood. We won't magnify the resurrection. See, the truth is that <clears throat> everyone who is in Christ is already his righteousness. But also everyone who has just neglected to come in has already had that same price paid for them. They have this ability to have the same silver redemptive foundation under them. So in order to walk in faith, I've got to see them in Christ, even though my knowledge up here may tell me they're not in Christ. So <clears throat> to take away somebody else's righteousness is to take away yours. Excuse me. <sighs> Wasn't that good? <laughs> I was getting a little dry. <laughs> I'm drinking for y'all. We're one in the spirit, right? <laughs> <clears throat> so unbelief starts building up in the soul because not only is belief, not only are we called to belief, not only is belief an activity of the soul, but also unbelief is an activity of the soul. And unbelief blocks the spirit and blocks faith every single time. And an ounce of unbelief can go so far. I mean, just, you get little, one little seed of some kind of, you know, thing that is different than the word of God. And it just starts multiplying. It goes just like revelation knowledge. It grows the same way. If you read Isaiah chapter 28, and it shows you that, that uh, path of how revelation knowledge is built, and it talks about this group of people being, you know, magnified and enlarged and, and successful. And then it talks about this second group of people, and they have the same kind of process going on, except it's natural knowledge. 
And it says that they, those people, may go forward and fall backwards and be snared and be taken. So to exalt natural knowledge above revelation knowledge, it's not, not a good outcome. But they both work the same way. I mean, you've been taught your entire life certain things that are just not so in the Spirit. They're just not. We're all always discovering those things. So it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And this teaching goes on and on and on. The flesh is just persistent as the Spirit. But we have access to the Spirit. Amen. So Romans 12, 5 says that we are members one of another. Again, that one foundation, Christ, that one righteousness, Christ. We're not allowing unbelief to build up in our soul because we'll allow other people to operate in the grace of God so that we can operate in the grace of God. Because when unbelief dominates our hearts, uh, we can't experience the kingdom. So are we going to continue to believe? So this area of sin and righteousness is probably the most basic of all things in the kingdom. And it's important that we get it straight and we understand how righteousness works and what the miracle, the new birth is. The new birth is not, uh, you know, joining a church or joining a club or bowing to do better or trying to have faith. No, the new birth is a miracle. It's Christ within. It's something that happens in, a, in an instant. And then after you get saved, then you can start getting saved. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, let's be determined to, to know our foundation of redemption. So then we can go on to bigger and better things. And we can start embracing the words of Jesus when he said, Oh, bigger and better things you're going to do than I ever did. You're going to walk in a kingdom place where it'll be hard for people to stay dead around you. Yeah, miracles will happen. People will be converted. People will come into the kingdom. There's a, if we don't have a foundation of basic issues like sin and redemption and righteousness and faith, then we'll never go on. But we can continue to believe. And you, you can have a believometer inside of you that, that you can analyze from time to time, okay, now am I still believing Christ? Am I still believing his goodness towards me? Am I still believing in the God ability that he's placed inside of me? Can I do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Or am I down right now? Am I, am I disbelieving? Am I unbelieving? Am, wow. So we've got to take care of our heart. But that that doesn't have anything to do with our foundation. Again, Peter was saying, oh, worship all of me, worship all of me. No, Jesus said, you don't need that. You don't need a bath. All you need to do is come to the labor, dip in that precious word of God, and cleanse yourself. And actually, I don't believe that the priest dipped into the labor to wash. I believe he dipped water out of the labor to wash with. 
because we can't wash in the whole Word of God. We don't know the whole Word of God. But we can know what applies, and we can wash at the labor. Amen. Well, thanks for putting up with me. Father, I just thank you that we believe. We are believers. And I just wish the whole cotton-picking world would, could hear the necessity of believing, that it makes a difference what we believe, that you're just not up there picking what happens to us, and you're not just up there uh, um, running us like some kind of lab rat trying, <laughs> but we're yours. We're your human beings, and you've designed us for your best, your greatness, and you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it matters what we believe, and it matters what we decide. I pray that our heart would just be stamped with that today. I give you the thanks and praise for it. Amen.